It is impossible to talk with somebody who's in jail. Rights groups insist Egypt's jails are filled with political dissidents. The Egyptian government is, is just afraid of any, any um, discord, discordant voice. Sadisan, Aad Tafail Amal, Lagnit Al Afur Reesi, in the Watan, Yatasia Alana Gamian, when the Lichtelefa Ferro, Layufsit Lilwatan Kadi, Layufsit Lilwatan Kadi. Don't you see that the whole aim of Newspeak is to narrow the range of thought? In the end, we shall make thought crime literally impossible, because there will be no words in which to express it. George Orwell. Welcome to episode 21 of the podcast. Um, today's episode is, uh, is uh, uh, the first of its kind, uh, since it's going to be like a commentary slash analysis kind of episode, um, where Ahmed and I, uh, Ahmed's a great friend, my, my smarter friend, <laughs> uh, where we'll be looking at um, the, quote, national dialogue proposed by Egypt's interim president uh, last May. Um, and that quote was just, uh, in case the episode turns out to be uh, shitty, so you have that. Uh, <laughs> Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me again. Uh, you, you really don't do yourself many favors, but thank you for calling me smart, I guess. I have to say, though, my, my head's completely empty. <laughs> way too much to do lately but um, I think this this dialogue will be interesting to talk about especially after it actually happens uh, this is more of a preview sort of thing and I think we should be back after um, after it actually goes down mm. um, well actually like first hearing of, of this whole national dialogue thing um, even a, a couple of days after the the, the president called for it um, I think around two or three people were arrested for criticizing the the call for national dialogue, um, which I think was kind of absurd. Um, and I think looking at like the whole thing um, um, from afar, uh, why do you even need a national dialogue in the first place? Your constitution guarantees um, dignity, um, uh, Article 52 addresses torture, Article 54 personal freedom, Article 65 freedom of thought, uh, freedom of research, and so forth. Um, so I think if you really want, quote, dialogue, just activate the constitution that already guarantees all of these freedoms and all of these um, political and press um, rights um and release um non-combatants and stop persecuting non-combatants by the ssp um so what do you think why he why did he call for that rather than just activate the constitution well one thing that you want is already happening because the state security courts can't take any any extra cases the weird thing is that they they're still ongoing like the ones that are ongoing haven't ended um but you mentioned that, that some people got arrested. The funny thing is, on the same day, people who criticized news similar to it when um, when the reactivation of the pardon committee happened were released because there was nothing to charge them with because the, the emergency law is gone. They still arrest people for the emergency law, but then they can't charge them. And I think this is mostly why it's happening, if I had to guess. But the state is in a sort of weird position where it doesn't know where to go next. They, most of what they wanted to achieve when it came to the security state was already achieved. Most of the enemies are gone. 
like for better or for worse, they're mostly gone. So what now? And I don't think it's a dialogue for us, like as, as people or as uh, anyone to do with journalism or anything other than the big journalistic institutions. I think it's a dialogue between parties and between unions and um, some of the bigger NGOs of where do we go from here? If you're a party like the, the Dignity Party or the Nasserists, if you're not in parliament, what do you do? There was a proposal a few months ago, I think it was Wev who proposed it, where they wanted to ban every party that wasn't in parliament so that they could make the parties in parliament stronger. And obviously something like that, that wouldn't fly with parties like that. And generally wouldn't be very fair. It's more or less saying I got mine, fuck you. Um, so I think it's more where, where do we go from here as institutional actors, especially the parties that aren't already um, figures there. Like well, they, they did a whole 180 after their party election. And now one of their main platforms for the dialogue is to have a shadow cabinet. Something like that, for example, would, would be a new thing for us to have, right? It would bring a new dynamic. Or it could just be more positions for, for party elites to be in if they can't agree on how to make it function. Or if it's just a hodgepodge of all the opposition parties. Yeah, but also there's this, I don't know why there's this tendency to overcomplicate stuff and, you know, say national dialogue and the presidential pardon committee and this, which I think is, I mean, it's it's nice to a certain extent, but to a certain extent, it's also bullshit. Because um, why not um, save yourself the uh, the money and the work and the energy and just activate the constitution that already guarantees all of these freedoms and release and stop persecuting non-combatants before the SSP? I think that sounds like a more doable and more realistic and a more an easier uh, solution. So what do you think? I think it's, well, for one thing, they have a thing for bureaucracy. I don't know if you saw a few days ago, they finally issued a permit for the nuclear power plant as, as a power plant. Like, why does that need a permit? <laughs> I, th I think we already knew, given that they zoned an entire city around it, that it, it, it was already legal. <laughs> Uh, but they, they just really love bureaucratization. I think it's it's the sort of state-level neurosis that we've always had going back to, to after the, the revolution in the 50s, where we have to institutionalize everything because we feel really insecure about the state and, and its longevity, right? Like, I don't think we've ever recovered from 1967, to be honest. We've always been in a, in a sort of state of, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So everything has to be impersonal and everything has to be uh, a bureaucratized institution that may outlive us, <laughs> even if it relies on like one or two people to function. And it's uh, it's the same thing with, with activating the constitution. Most of it is already active, but there are laws that contradict it that are also still active because they haven't gotten around to, to changing them for any reason. Like the, the local government bill that's now three, four years late. It's, it's these kind of contradictions that I think they want to resolve ideally with, with the dialogue. But I told you this before the show, honestly, I don't think dialogue can go anything other than one of two ways where either this is going to be a watershed moment and these 500 to 1,000 people are going to decide the next 10 years mm -hmm. Or it's going to be like 
a complete nothing. It's just going to be like that uh, Mosulium economic conference, mm. but just on a bigger scale. <laughs> They're just going to talk about numbers, maybe bullshit about the budget a little mm. bit. Uh, maybe a few people will grandstand and get standing ovations or whatever, but otherwise nothing will happen. Like it's either going to be absolutely nothing and we won't even bother making a follow-up episode or it's going to be like earth-shattering news. But what, what do you think would make uh, it? Big... Like what do you think would make this quote dialogue worth it? Because um, I, when I thought about it, I thought, why not release all non-combatants? Uh, <laughs> I, I realize I've been saying non-combatants for a while now. Um, so first of all, I think the 60,000 political prisoners is, uh, I think it's bullshit. Um, I think there are thousands, but I don't think it's 60,000. Um, so why not release those I mean, people? Uh, Go ahead. I was, um, for, for a paper I've been writing, uh, it might get published soon. The I, I won't mention the co-author because I'm not sure if he condones podcasts. <laughs> but uh, we, we've been writing it about political freedoms. We tried to narrow down the number of political prisoners. And the Ministry of Interior says there are between 10,000 and 15,000, depending on how you define it, which sounds about right, I guess. It, it, the depending on how you define it part is tricky, though. Because if you, if you say that everyone who was arrested uh, for being part of the Brotherhood is a political prisoner, then you could get to like 40, 50,000. But, you know, you'd have to ignore car bombs. <laughs> uh, it, it's also a stretch to say 60,000 when there are only 140,000 prisoners total. Like if, if almost half the prisoners are political prisoners, then holy shit, we commit no crimes. <laughs> it's the most peaceful nation on the planet. Um, but I think that you asked how, how to make it successful. Regarding political prisoners, a really easy way to make it successful other than just releasing them is to activate a proposal that went through parliament and just died to replace pre-trial detention with just parole or probation. Mm. Uh, probation as in they, they would spend the night in the their police station? No, as in like just house arrest, more or less. Or just don't leave the country. You have to be the chief of staff of the military for that, to, to, or a former minister of aviation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more or less. But like, it, it's not a novel concept. Like all the people who get released on fake news charges because those aren't a thing anymore, they all get released on probation. So you know how to do it. Mm. But also, <laughs> even even, even when it comes to that, the scale is. Uh, I mean, it, it's not as uh, as big of a scale as you make it sound like. Ever since he, he called for the, uh, reactivated the presidential pardon committee and called for the national dialogue, again, I feel like I'm repeating myself, <laughs> um, only 236 um, people were released. And I think a huge number of them were, were not even uh, charged, like they were just uh, released on bail. I think their, their, like their, their trials are still ongoing. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and uh, an important thing to note is that these 200 people, um, they are not uh, the unknown. They are not like just ordinary people. Um, they are either activists, um, party members, uh, legitimate party members, um, very well known within the Egyptian political sphere. Um, some of them were even on hunger strike like uh, Mokka and, and so forth. Um, so it's, it's really... Um, uh, Uneasy, if you may. Like it's it's as if like they they wanna, 
like paint a picture, but not necessarily actually open up space. You get what I mean? I think the issue is again they don't they don't seem to know what to do next. Like when they announced the pardon committee, they they released the bulk of those two hundred within like a week, and then they started releasing so few that one day he released like four people. Um, like they they don't seem to know where to go, and in some cases it seems like the committee itself is the problem. Like they they keep going on the media and saying that they won't release anyone whose hands have been sullied with blood. They love that line. Um, same thing with the dialogue, right? Like he mentioned that he wants everyone there. And he, ignore my cat. And he mentioned, he sort of insinuated that he wanted the Brotherhood there. And then again, everyone, except I think like the 6th of April movement, who I didn't even know were still a thing. Uh, they were the only ones who didn't say the line, oh, we're not going to speak with anyone whose hands have been sullied with blood. Right? Like, okay, then why why do you accept Sadat's being there? <laughs> why do you accept people who have been police generals there? Or is that fine? But anyway, I think the, the pardon committee doesn't really know what its purpose is at this point because they, they released most of the high-profile ones. The other high-profile ones, they're probably not going to release, at least not yet, until they feel more secure. But it's most of the ones, like you said, were released from pretrial detention. Like, they weren't even sentenced yet. Uh, or like the uh, yeah, have the Hedy yeah, case, where the he was released the day after he was sentenced. Yeah. <laughs> like, he didn't even get to go to prison. Uh, it it just seems like they're they're really not sure what, what to do. Like they they did the initial escalation, right, of bringing the pardon committee back, but then it was just a sort of what now moment. And they uh, two days ago they released the the board of uh, the board of uh, trustees that are going to facilitate uh, the national dialogue. Have you had a chance to look at it, like the names of the people? Yeah, it's generally generally pretty good apart from like a couple of exceptions like they have a guy from the ahram center there um if anyone who doesn't know the ahram center is the government's biggest think tank like why why is he there yeah. <laughs> don't get me wrong the the guy they got from the ahram center he's a good writer he like he knows what he's doing but why would you include one of the one of the government's brain trust in a dialogue with, with a bunch of parties right uh, the only other one that stood out to me was like a random businessman. Yeah, I found that. <laughs> I guess. Like, I thought maybe he's there for the, like, the right-wing parties to have someone to talk yeah. to. He probably paid for it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe he's, he's bringing like the refreshments. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and he, before we started recording, we were talking about the, uh, like the the mechanics and the the dynamics of the the dialogue itself. Who's gonna be there? Is uh, is the S man gonna be present? So what do you think? Is he is he gonna be present? Honestly, I, I mentioned this to you before, but the way he talks about the dialogue, it's sort of like when you don't want to be at your friend's party, but you don't want to tell him that you don't want to go. He he's being very non-committal about it. Yeah. The whole the whole political dialogue, everyone involved in running it is very non-committal about what it actually is. Uh, the like the mechanics of how it will work, it's still unclear. Like, is there going to be a talking stick? Are they just going to argue the whole time? Uh, and the the Ahram Center themselves, for the record, said that they don't want more than a hundred participants. I think uh, 
It was either 100 or 500, I can't remember. Yeah, because they wanted people to have time to speak. But then the very next day, the, um, yeah, it was 100. The, the organizers of the dialogue said that they invited 400 parties. <laughs> and again, it's like the, the different organs of the state aren't really in communication sometimes. Uh, or they they maybe have different priorities. Like when the Aharam Center said that they wanted only 100 participants, they wanted like the cream of the crop. Like don't invite everyone from a party, just invite the party heads. Uh, don't invite the little parties that don't matter, that kind of thing. Whereas the dialogue seems to want everyone except the Brotherhood. But in another case, it's everyone. They even invited people who don't want to be there, like Asam Higgi. Who they 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 insisted that he's going to be there, <laughs> and even he was non-committal. By the way, he didn't say I'm not going to be there. He just said it'll be fine either way. <laughs> Which like it it all has a feeling of how do I put this? It all has that feeling you get when you're trying to organize an outing, but nobody really wants to go. And also when you're talking about uh, whether the uh, the S man is gonna eventually show up there or not. Uh, I told you about this Vice documentary where uh, a filming crew and like uh, five or six like NBA players went to uh, Pyongyang to like play a, a friendly match with, uh, with the North Korean team. Uh, and then t- towards the end, uh, Kim Jong-un shows up and, and throws a party for them and like has some pain with them. <laughs> so I think that's uh, probably the, the most likely scenario, the Pyongyang scenario. I mean, maybe uh, he has a he has a real knack for just showing up. Like he shows up unannounced to a lot of things. Yeah, I think mainly churches. Right. Um, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, he also, I don't know if you uh, if you saw this. A few, I think this was late last year or early this year. He just randomly showed up to a party conference. Like while while they were while they were holding a party election, he just randomly showed do up. You, do you remember what party was it? Uh, I think it was the Nation's Future Party during their conference. I think in Jean Mecher or something. Like just just imagine the president showing up randomly, <laughs> just unannounced. In a way, it's it's sort of like the family dinner, right? It's it's a flex. It's showing that I don't. I'm not afraid of you guys anymore. You're not. A no, threat. but the 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 future of a nation it's, party, uh, the Stable Watan party, that's not a threat. That's um, like, like that's his, his No, that's literally <laughs> like the, the <laughs> exactly. intelligence party. But like, like with the with the family dinner, right? Where he invited more or less all of his enemies. Like that. It's sort of like the um, when Muhammad Ali invited the Mamluks over. It's just like a. You don't matter to me anymore. It's like the, the dream of any opposition is always to be Navalny, right? You want to be the person who the state fears so much that they try to imprison and poison and exile, right? You never want to be Sabahi. You don't want to be the guy who the state you hate tries to embrace you. But I mean, that's, that's just how modern states work. When they get really secure, when they feel like they're they're not unsafe anymore, if you want to see what a state feels like when it feels threatened, from 2014 to 2017, that's what a state looks like when it feels threatened. But now this is just how 
states function when they don't feel like they're 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 about to fall at any point. Right? The, you start to see a more an opening up of freedoms, but at the same time, the freedoms can't matter as much. It's like um, can't remember who said this quote, but it was I think it was a civil rights leader in the U.S. where they said if voting mattered, they'd make it illegal. It's that kind of thing where you get avenues to express yourself, but it's more just to let things out, right? Just just let it out. Don't bother us. <laughs> and if it matters, you won't be able to do it anymore. I mean, I, I wish I shared the same point of view as you, but uh, I think it's quite false that they're opening up um, spaces of, of freedom and allowing people to express themselves more. Um, because then again, they're still persecuting non-combatants before the SSB for the, quote, the package of, like, um, spreading uh, false information, uh, fake news, um, belonging to a terrorist um, organization. Uh, that, that hasn't stopped. And it's, 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 it's still being actively used against non-combatants. And by non-combatants, I mean just ordinary civilians just expressing themselves, um, retweeting stuff, um, creating or sharing a meme, a funny meme, um, and I think there were even like uh, that we know of, you know, the the choice, the the Lichtyar where where they had uh, uh, Yasser Galal play uh, the president. <laughs> um, as far as I know, two people were arrested for making fun of the show, you know. As a state um, or as a person, how in what way does that make you feel uh, threatened? Well, the thing is. Well, one thing though is that the state security courts aren't accepting new, uh, new cases. They've taken it more to the regular criminal courts, which is why you see more fake news cases just end. Like they just give them probation and just end it, because the, the reason they charge this kind of stuff, is more for the image of the state, right? Like that. There's no real word for it that's as strong mm. in English, but yeah, like the, the prestige of the state, right? Yeah, I guess. And it's a lot of the time, and the, the paper I was writing uh, mentions this as well, it's not even the state doing it sometimes. Like sometimes lawyers will take it upon themselves to sue people because they, they feel like they demean the state. It's like, remember in the 2018 election when Sisi was running more or less unopposed to the point that even he was embarrassed and people kept putting up ads for him when he even asked them to stop putting up ads. It's that kind of thing where... They want to curry favor with the state so badly that they'll do this. And the state doesn't mind. Like, they can say they mind. They can say that the court backlogs are, are too large to, to worry about this kind of thing. They can give people probation for uh, for fake news stuff. They can, like they did, remove the emergency on security courts. But fundamentally, they don't mind when this happens. This crowdsourcing of... of um, of silence you know like the if you if you interact with the state directly they'll tell you that they love freedom of speech they'll talk about how how they give subsidies to newspapers and all of that and to to an extent they're sincere because they love most of what that speech is used for they love when when people just talk about random drama and random bullshit or when they debate like the 
the actions of the state without bringing specifics. Yeah, and also, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you, but or um, when they also um, that could be extended to um, like when it comes to political prisoners, because we technically we don't have any political prisoners because they're all charged with with kinds of like they're, they're charged with either spreading fake news belonging to a quote terrorist organization, so they are not they aren't technically political prisoners. Yeah, and the funny thing about that, too, is that even recently, the Ministry of Interior said that there are 10 to 15,000 political prisoners. It was the first time I remember them using the phrase political prisoners. But it was specifically, it was specifically with regard to the pardon committee. And uh, recently, with, with the pardon committee, they've even been releasing prisoners on their own. I think they've released more than the pardon committee has. But it's... Even though the state wants to, pro to project this image, they still really like the idea that people fear them. It's very useful. And you, you see this with uh, a good example is like South Africa, right? South Africa as a state, it used to have apartheid. And a lot of institutions from apartheid still linger. And even though the state is run by Black people now, right, more or less, there's, there's this whole racist thing about it being run by black people and, and scare quotes, but you know, whites are not oppressed there. <laughs> but anyway, um, even though it's run by them now, the people who are oppressed by apartheid, they still gain from the, the ethos of apartheid remaining, right? It's, it's useful for a state. It's the same thing with, with, the, with uh, China, right? China really wants to be seen as a state with fundamental freedoms. And to an extent, to an extent, it's not as bad as, as portrayed in a lot of media, right? Especially because like if a state can be genu general, genuinely totalizing in its control, honestly, impressive. <laughs> because there's, there's, it's very difficult to control people that much. But it is useful for people to be afraid. It's useful for them to feel like they don't have the rights that they do, because that takes a lot of burden off of you. Yeah, but state. even even, it's also yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say it's also a, a trick that they use a lot in Western countries where they'll deploy riot police extremely brutally, just to remind you that there are limits to your freedom. But they don't. They don't want you to. They don't want to say it explicitly. They want it to be something you've internalized without being said. It's it's violence projection, more more than anything else, and it's the same reason they switched away from killing dissidents to jailing them. It's sort of like reinforcing a social contract while holding a mini gun in your hand. <laughs> I'm not going to fire it, but this contract is not balanced. Um, I was when I interrupted you. I was going to say that. Uh... If, if all uh, stays the same for, ne for the next uh, decade or possibly two decades, uh, uh, I think the legacy of the, the Arab Spring, if you want to call it that, or the, or the Egyptian uprising, uh, I think it's, it's going to be like nothing really happened and even, even like worse uh, because they, they have the media, the state controls the media. And they're changing and have already changed the the narrative of, of the whole thing, 2011, 2012, 2013, um, which I think is 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 um, 
I think the media plays a really vital role when it comes to political awareness and, and, and so forth. And when, when the media is controlled to that extent, really, like, I don't want to use an inappropriate uh, term, fingered by the state or grabbed by, by the nuts, um, it also gives other uh, actors uh, an opportunity to jump in. Like, if, if, the, if you realize that um, Egyptian media that's broadcasting from Cairo, except for this uh, podcast, <laughs> is... Um, directed and funded and like controlled by the state, you're gonna look for alternatives. And one of the, like the most notable alternatives that are gonna uh, present themselves and are gonna look more appealing are um, other sources of information that are equally biased. Like you're gonna seek refuge in, in the MB's media and like MB funded, uh, like uh, sources of, of media and I think that's uh, equally worrying as well because there needs to be um, a median or a medium in which you could actually get independent unbiased um, uh, news maybe that's too uh, unrealistic to think of I don't know what do you think I agree with you about the, the media and it opening doors for for people to look elsewhere but I disagree that the Arab Spring was a failure, that things got worse. I hear that narrative a lot. And it makes me wonder where they were under Mubarak because things were genuinely like far worse. There's um, one thing to keep in mind is that under Mubarak, things were a lot simpler, mainly because the economy and the state were less complex. Um, but also something like the media, there were just fewer newspapers to go around, fewer channels, etc. But they were all controlled by the state except for Mosri Lyonf. They were the one entity that just hung on by the skin of their teeth. Um, whereas now that they don't have to control all the outlets directly, they can just control a handful and then coerce the rest, which is again, like more or less the modernity that people wanted. Like, sorry, this is just how states and media work. If you look in most places, most media other than state media just regurgitates press bulletins and press releases it's it's only investigative media that get like that actually turn through uh, through the documents they get and actually looks past the press releases and you occasionally get that with something like in Mosulium, right they still exist they they still have their own independence but the problem is that their capacity to be investigative has been severely decreased mainly because it's that same fear that I mentioned, right? Like under Mubarak, the fear was easy. It was easy to get past because you didn't have to do anything to face repercussions. Whereas again, now there's this sort of threat of a, of a social contract of like, you can live more or less fine. Like you, you'll get by. But if you go out, if you go out of your lane, there will be consequences. Whereas under Mubarak, people had much less to lose. Okay, think back to 2011, right? When did it start? There were riots more or less every month, sometimes yeah. every other week. It was, it was just but a climax. When, it wasn't like just something spontaneous. Exactly. But what, what, was the, what was the event that pushed it over the edge? It was removing food subsidies. It, it literally started two days later because there was nothing left to lose. Like if I'm going to die hungry, fuck it. <laughs> Might as well. 
But if you're going to kill me anyway, then at least kill me before my stomach grumbles. And that was the narrative. Like the, there wasn't even regime change on the mind at the time. The first peop, the first things that people chanted in the square were, "People demand prices are lowered." It wasn't even that big a demand. <laughs> like nowadays, you say you say that kind of thing on Facebook. Yeah, but I, I think I kind of disagree with the with the part um, that you were saying that uh, under Mubarak it was unpredictable, and now it is predictable. Um, I kind of have the the complete opposite um, view on that. No, it's still. There is still unpredictable stochastic violence, but under Mubarak, it was just background radiation the whole time. Like there was no rhyme or reason to it. You could just be disappeared for any reason, really. Yeah, but I mean that. I mean, of course, that um, your point of under Mubarak, you could just disappear and never show up again. I think that's a, a solid uh, point. Um, but also, I think under Mubarak, there were um, like certain limits if you if you want to put it that way where now there it's it's just unpredictable you can be arrested and not disappeared but arrested and, and charged accordingly for doing the the most trivial of things you know i think the the difference the big difference is it's more public now and it's sort of it's like a great tragedy right whereas before you'd just be shot now it's oh i sentence you to 16 years going through courts <laughs> right it's death by bureaucracy and in a way it's better because you know at least you, you can still breathe <laughs> but like publicly it gets worse right it, it's a worse image where you have you have someone going through the motions right it's more frustrating this way But also, like the the scale is much different as well. The like scale the, of, of repression. The the scale of the repression is much different, but the bigger difference is that the the transparency of it is much higher. It's similar to it's similar to murder, right? It feels like more people get murdered now than they did then, doesn't it? But it's like down by a factor of ten to fifteen times. The difference is that now the media like swarms around everything. <laughs> they, they they're extremely bored. <laughs> they just need something to latch on to, like a story to make the story of the day. So like every little murder case. I was just saying like so every little murder case becomes like national. Yeah, because news. they can't talk about right. the political, so they they only have the social to talk about. And the thing is, too, even when they talk about the political, it's just it's extremely boring because the state loves to project this bureaucratic institutional image, right? Like the every project will, will come through tidbits and press releases over the course of a month. Uh, in order to get any info, you have to talk to the press secretary's secretary for communications with media, you know, that kind of thing. It's extremely systematized. And if you if you want to see like a parallel to this, Look at like a European country's biggest newspapers. It's boring. It's boring as shit. <laughs> and that's what they want. That's what they want to emulate. That's their model of like, I will bore you to tears until you just do your job. Yeah. And also there's this uh, new republic, the Gumurek Gedida, um, which I still, uh, I still don't get what, what the fuck that means. Uh, like, w when does it start? Well, where is it? <laughs> It's really... Uh, Questions. <laughs> I think what I've gathered is that 
it's sort of a formalization of that new social contract sort of thing of like, okay, the emergency law is gone. We're going to scale things back. No more austerity. You know, social programs are back. That kind of thing. You know, transit is expanding. New cities, blah, 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 right? But when? When does it start? And did it already start? Are we already in it? <laughs> what What does it mean? Are they going to change the flag? <laughs> Just very basic questions. But also, it's sort of like um, they've been tiptoeing around this for a while, where they want to break between the current state and the free officer state. But I'm biased because my minor was Egyptian history, like modern history. I think that we've already had two different republics. I don't think you can really say that the republic we had under uh, Nasser was, was anything similar to the one we had under Sadat and Mubarak. And I don't think you can say that the republic we have now is the same one we had before 2017 or 2018. These aren't these don't behave like the same state, or maybe it's the same state but has schizophrenia. <laughs> but it's sort of, I guess, what they're trying to emulate is like what Charles de Gaulle did, where he divorced the the French Republic from the Republic that came before, the one that bowed to the Nazis and all that. And it it sort of works. Like you can you can say that things are different enough that it's it's a new republic, right? But you have to say what that means. Usually, when this stuff happens, they come up with a new constitution or something, but that's not happening. Um, and the constitution itself is already pretty good, honestly. They just have to apply more of it. You have to activate uh, it. It's already there. I mean, besides the fact that he. Uh amended the the constitution 2019 i had this what i still believe is uh, was a rigged um, referendum in which i voted by the way and it marked my first political uh, participation um, um anyway so um, um it's due to start um, in a day or two the national dialogue uh so what they think is is ultimately gonna come out of the national dialogue and what do you think could have been done? Um, could have been done uh, uh, like better. Like, uh, uh, what do you think is a more viable alternative to the to this so-called national dialogue? Well, for one, I think it's going to be delayed because <laughs> they still don't have they still don't have everyone appointed yet. The 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 person running the dialogue is still not appointed yet. Um, but I honestly, like I said, I don't know what the mechanisms will be. Um, it'll we'll have to see. But I think, I think this is really illustrative of of the difference between the paradigms we look at this from. Because I don't think the referendum was rigged, and I voted too, by the way. Uh, there was a guy in my polling station trying to change my vote last minute, uh, which is uh, illegal. Uh, how how <laughs> anyway. did that? Oh, he was just like trying to convince me. He saw that I was, uh, that I went to vote no. And he was trying to convince me to vote yes. And he was talking about the quotas and how now the army can coup the government whenever it wants. And I was like, hey, I mean, <laughs> you raised some good points, but yeah. I already voted. But uh, I don't think they had to rig it. And I think the timing uh, was no, strategic. No, 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 no. I, right? I didn't mean they, they rigged it. I think of uh, it. No, think, no, no, sorry. One, one, one second. I, think, uh, I didn't think they rigged it in terms of 
it it was gonna pass or not. I think it's what it, it was gonna ultimately pass anyway. I just think the numbers just uh, don't add up. Go ahead, please. I mean, think of it from their perspective, right? Uh, they have the fortune of knowing that most people who disagree won't vote anyway, and that's the beauty of low turnout. Um, it's a thing that they do in local elections in the U.S. too, right? They they know that the turnout is going to be really low, and that anyone who's who's against will be too apathetic to vote, or just won't have the will to vote, or won't want to legitimize the election with the vote. So they don't matter anymore. The other thing is, if you think of it from their perspective, they timed it really well. It was in 2019 at the very end of Parliament's term, and legally you can't propose the same constitutional amendments within the same Parliament. So there's no way they lose, because in one in one turn of events, the election passes, the referendum passes, and they get the amendments they want. Cool. In the other turn of events, it doesn't pass, and they say, "Hey, look, democracy moment. We wanted to do a thing. You said no, and we we let you say no." And then a year later, they propose the same ones again, maybe with some addendums based on what people didn't like, right? Rephrase some things, add some more concessions, right? So there's there's no way they lose, and it's similar with a lot of elections where they ensure that either outcome is fine, right? It it's also similar to to how elections work, for example, in student elections. There's no way that the person you vote for is going to matter enough that they have to rig it. So go ahead, just vote. Mm. And do you think um, one of the um, uh, one of the outcomes that might uh, come out of the um, this national dialogue? is uh, more co- constitution amendments because i think that might be a possibility if they if they really talk <laughs> i uh you're muted i can't hear sorry family oh, yeah. what did you say um i was saying um one of the the outcomes that might come out of the the national dialogue is that there might be further constitutional amendments So they think that's a possibility? I mean, I think so. Um, honestly, I think they're waiting for an excuse to amend the constitution because they recently had to had to do some weird map bullshit because of the capital. Because in the constitution, Cairo's the capital. So they amended the city's borders so that there's a little ring, literally like less than 100 meters in diameter around parliament. So that technically they're abiding by the constitution. <laughs> And like, they're probably also waiting to amend it so that they can change certain things like the, the local election law. It would be easier to pass it as a constitutional amendment than to pass it through parliament at this point, because the parties all have their own reasons for not passing the local government bill. Um, the problem is that there's election fatigue right now. We just had the house election in, in uh, the senate election in 2020 the house election in 2021 the like even sports clubs did elections in the past few months like come on <laughs> i just think people are tired and they would want the next referendum to have higher turnout like even even though low turnout helps them with referendums they they don't really care how high the turnout is just more number is better because they, they can't really lose either way. But if if they come out with 
um, proposals for for huge law changes. Like maybe they come out with proposals for the personal status bill. Like that that looks like it's on its way finally after what fifteen years. Uh, maybe there there will be amendments for that. Maybe there there will be amendments for the penal code that hasn't changed since the nineteen thirties. You know that kind of thing. But I I really doubt that they ran through constitutional amendments right now. Uh, there was a there was a very, a very scary proposal from the trade union federation where they said that one of their core requests of the dialogue will be that the dialogue becomes an annual event. And if that happens, I might just kill myself. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it becomes an annual thing, then it's just Bullshit. another yeah. conference, right? It's just one of those, like, uh, another Le Marche. Like the ones he, he does with the Bedouins. Every... I mean, at least the Bedouin ones, they started off having a meaning, right? They, they, they got a treaty done and everything. And now it's just, let's go drink coffee in the desert together. <laughs> and that's, that's an issue that happens, right? You, you run out of things to do. Like at a certain point, you just hit a wall. And I was, uh, I was just about to wrap up, but I, uh, I, realized, uh, I realized that uh, we didn't talk about why propose a national dialogue in the first place, which, which is going to eventually um, lead us to talk about the economy, which has been and is going to, is going to shit, really. Inflation is rising. Um, the Egyptian pound is getting even more devalued against the, um, the US dollar. Uh, and I think that looking at that, uh, it, it, it seems like it's key to why he's um, aiming towards, quote, dialogue. If it's gonna turn out to be actual dialogue, so what do you think about that? Do you think it's the economics that eventually led to that? Uh, uh... I think it's I think it's a part of it, and I think a part of it too is the budget stuff. Uh, I don't know if you're following, but the budget debate this year was a lot more heated than usual. Like it even included like accusations of corruption, accusations of treason, like. It, it goes beyond the regular thing in parliament where they just throw shoes which, which at each other. Which was surprising right? because they, they, it's not that like they're all independent. They're all either paid to be there or, or just there because they're there. They proved um, they proved loyal to the state, you know. So uh, it was quite baffling. I mean, there, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe any party as especially hostile to the idea of the state. Uh, not the ones in parliament anyway. Maybe like at Pagamo, but they're not big enough to be an issue. Uh, social democratic party, that kind of thing. By the state, I don't mean the state state. I mean like the the regime, the, the political regime. I mean they're more or less synonymous, especially in a in the sense of parliament. But I think part of it was they they want to um, they want to let parties vent about that kind of stuff. Maybe propose changes to how things are done, like to the to the 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 mechanisms by which we, we achieve these budgets. Like this year as well, the Ministry of Finance tried doing a public consultation for the budget. The uh, state ownership policy document has a consultation going on right now, right? Like uh, I feel like they want people to co-sign on the stuff or they at least want to say, hey, we asked, right? Um, and that's part of the economy getting worse. And to be fair, to be fair, a lot of it is out of their hands. Like it's just what happens when there's a pandemic and a war and a commodity boom and a supply crisis. 
but part of it too is poor planning like they they could have done what they did with debt sooner they could have paid off some of that debt sooner like the central bank did or they could have made it more long term like they did last year these these are things they could have done sooner um they could have digitized the economy faster instead of having to like rush to do it haphazardly throughout the the pandemic they could have applied the universal healthcare system faster which would have saved a lot of money and all the um they could have they could have finished transit projects faster and transit plays a huge role in the economy because people can't do anything productive if they can't get anywhere um they could have invested in the south before the year 2018 when the south apparently be, began existing like there's just a lot of things they could have done to preempt this and again it it all boils down to i don't i don't think they know where to go from here like i don't think they have a clear idea like they did before like they had an idea of like this is how the transition will go and by this point in the transition the transition is over but i don't think they they even planned on reaching this point <laughs> i don't think they banked on it being stable enough to reach this point so and again like it, it's either going to be really important and what they come out of the dialogue with will be crucial to how the next 10 years go or it's just going to be another conference I, i have the same view of like the climate conference coming up like it's either going to be one of the most important ones or it's just not going to be memorable at all there's no in between <laughs> any uh, concluding uh, remarks before we wrap up uh i just want to say if the new republic includes or the national dialogue includes changing the flag honestly maybe uh, maybe we could have a referendum for that too just let's let's just vote every <laughs> three months yeah i'll just uh, reiterate the three or two points that i've been just spewing out for the last 40 minutes um release non-combatants stop persecuting non-combatants for political reasons um you can keep in jail people that want to declare fucking caliphate but otherwise release people release civilians that shouldn't be there in the first place um activate the constitution which is perfectly uh, uh quite healthy when it comes to personal freedoms and political freedom freedoms and so forth and again stop persecuting non-combatants that uh before the the SSP um thank you so much for listening and see you next thursday